What is a dream? When the body sleeps and the mind enters another realm, when its defenses set like the sun and the subconscious shakes off its burial clothes, rising to walk in newness of life, when the laws of physics retire and the rigid structure of time grows supple, what might happen in that space? This is a story about a God who works in the dark, a God who speaks plainly and in riddles, a God who, when he has something to say, sometimes likes to say it in a dream, because when you're sleeping, he is not. I'm Justin Gerhardt. Welcome to Holy Ghost Stories. They're all yours. Joseph looks up to see the prison warden shoving two men in his direction. If you're going to offend someone, make sure it's not Pharaoh, eh? If the warden laughs, the pair of new prisoners fail to share his amusement. They stare at the ground, trembling. Joseph bows to the warden and leads his most recent charges to their cells, striding along the central corridor. As deputy of the captain's prison, Joseph operates with significant authority in this place. The warden has demonstrated what's turned out to be quite a penchant for delegation over these months, years. But there is no forgetting. Joseph is still a prisoner. There is, though, one crucial difference between the Hebrew and the other convicts in this pit. Joseph is innocent. Framed by a scorned woman and now left here to rot. Perhaps he allows the two men to introduce themselves, cupbearer to the king and Pharaoh's chief baker, living out the acute consequences of giving offense to his majesty. Perhaps Joseph offers them some consolation. Or maybe Joseph doesn't speak to them, lost in his own shattered fortunes. Maybe this is a bad day, when the once free young man's mind is plagued by despair, by feelings of abandonment. Days turn into weeks, weeks turn into months, hope withers. But someone is moving in the shadows. A vine snakes across vertical stone, 
It grips the wall, fighting gravity, reaching away from the soil, dark, scattered detritus and the post-mortem particles of decomposed flesh. A bit of the shaft begins to pulse and swell like the heel of a fetus pushing from inside a womb. Finally, a green stalk stretches in a new direction, grabbing stone and racing outward. Further along the shaft, more pulsing, another branch, and another. Then new protrusions, leaves push through the skin of the vine, flexing their infant hands in the new world of their surroundings. Now buds break, knobby, viridescent cones pointing to the heavens. They too pulse and thrust, expanding until the knobs burst open into tiny five-petaled white flowers. The gossamer blossoms flicker like dandelion pappas in the wind. But then they're pushed away as from behind them tiny spheres emerge and swell larger, larger until the orbs begin shifting from green to purple. At last, multiplied clusters of sweet fruit hang now, heavy, on the three branches of the vine. Fingers, a goblet resting in them, reaching, plucking, squeezing, grape juice erupts from torn skin and falls through the air into the cup. Another hand, Pharaoh's. The wine sloshes gently as the goblet is passed to the king. The cupbearer's eyes shoot open in the darkness. Not far away, another man's eyelids twitch. Twisted grass knotted into pinched rows. Lines curving, spiraling downward. A basket. Its bottom balances precariously atop a head. Inside, loaves of bread. Not golden, though. Pale. Pallid. Strangely white. Another basket atop the first. More bread. A third basket atop the others. Bread and all manner of pastries filling its void, baked for Pharaoh himself. But then unwelcome interest, the flapping of dark wings, hungry cawing, a murder of crows. Avian eyes stutter their attention as beaks stab like glinting kopesh. The flesh of the bread is pecked away. The baker gasps awake. Dawn breaks. Joseph blinks, stretches, rises. He makes his rounds, checking on the prisoners. Everything seems to be in order, but when he comes to the cell of the baker and the cupbearer, their faces tell him something has happened. They never have been happy to be here, of course, but with the passing of time has come at least a modicum of peace. Joseph's kindness toward those in his charge has had inevitable effects on all of the prisoners, these two included. Today, though, 
Pharaoh's former attendants appear disturbed. Their emotion hangs in the air like fog. Why do you look so sad today? Joseph asks. The pair of men exchange a glance. And then one of them ventures, we had dreams. Another glance. Joseph's eyebrow rises, perhaps as his head tilts in interest. He waits. But there is no one to interpret them. Joseph studies them. (laughs) Don't interpretations belong to God? The two men nod, maybe, resigned to the foreboding mystery of their visions. But Joseph continues. Tell me your dreams. In my dream, the cupbearer begins, there was a vine in front of me. On the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms came out and its clusters ripened into grapes. Joseph listens. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Joseph notices the baker watching nervously as he considers the cupbearer's dream. Joseph prays, surely, and then looks the dreamer in the eye. This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In just three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. The man's eyes brighten. You will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand the way you used to when you were cupbearer. Elation, relief. If the cupbearer offers his thanks, Joseph interrupts him. When all goes well for you, remember that I was with you. Please, he looks hard at the man, years of heartache and a precious measure of hope contained in these words. Please show kindness to me by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews and I have done nothing that they should put me in this dungeon. The cupbearer nods enthusiastically, but there is a distance in his eyes as his own freedom beckons. Then the baker speaks up. Such a positive interpretation and the ring of truth. There is something about this Joseph. In my dream, three baskets of white bread were on my head. In the top basket were all sorts of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. Joseph is silent pensive. Slowly, his face falls. He looks at the man. The three baskets are three days. The baker nods, a good start. Just like in just three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from off of you and impale you on a tree. Joseph swallows. Then the birds will eat the flesh from your body. The baker's jaw begins to tremble. Please, no!
The next two days pass slowly. Each of the dreamers can think of nothing beyond their visions and this foreigner's interpretations. The men plead with their gods as one hour gives way to the next. Please, let this interpretation be true. Please, let this interpretation be false. Finally, the third day dawns. As the sun scales the Egyptian sky, men and women rush from one place to another, hands full, minds racing, to-do lists looming. Outside the palace, flashing bronze interrupts the mooing of fattened cows. Crimson pours from slit throats as bovine eyes roll backward. Lambs bleat and grow silent. Pigs squeal until red stains their skin. Deer and ducks and geese slump in the arms of their butchers. Carcasses are flayed, flesh is severed, and fire scorches the dripping meat. Today is Pharaoh's birthday. In a rare act of magnanimity, the king has decided to throw a feast for all his servants. Dozens, scores, hundreds perhaps, of men and women gather to eat and drink and celebrate their all-powerful ruler. Among the crowd, two attendants summoned by specific invitation. The hearts of these two throb as they chew and swallow and wait to discover the reliability of the Hebrews' interpretations, the sturdiness of their dreams. We have two special guests joining us today, Pharaoh calls over the host of servants. Come, join me before your colleagues. The men share a glance as they move forward, the smile on the king's face is opaque. The cupbearer first. And then six minutes that unfold something like this. Many of you will remember my beloved cupbearer's offense. The walls of my palace have ears, it seems, and mouths that do not close. Nervous laughter. Pharaoh turns to the man. Before this misstep, you served me faithfully, and I was never wanting for good wine or beer when you were in office. And so, on this festive day, I have chosen to extend mercy, to put our conflict behind me, and to restore you to your position as cupbearer. The man's face brightens. An attendant places a goblet into his hand. The wine sloshes gently as he passes the goblet to the king. And then Pharaoh turns to his former chief baker. Hope against hope in the man's desperate eyes. And you, my incompetent, fatuous, conniving baker. I will choke on you and your vapid creations no longer. Your prison sentence is complete. 
Captain Potiphar's men carry a 20-foot-tall timber post through the parting crowd. The baker's eyes grow wide and wet as he glimpses a sharpened point at the end of the timber. He starts to scream, and two guards grab his arms, yanking him down from the platform and toward the spike. They lash him to two upright posts, his arms and legs splayed like a stretched hide. The soldiers point the tip of the timber toward the wailing man. Take ten steps backward. The crowd cheers. Pharaoh nods. The guards run forward, propelling the wooden pole like a battering ram. The spike finds purchase in the baker's gut, puncturing his skin, hurtling through his intestines, and punching its way out of the flesh of his back in scarlet triumph. His lungs, diaphragm, and windpipe uninjured, the man screams with abandon. Not as loudly, though, as Pharaoh's minions cheer. And then the flashing of bronze and the thud of the now silent man's head. He manages a final blink as he stares bodiless from the floor at the satisfied king. The guards turn the newly adorned skewer toward the door, exit the great hall, and stop at a hole that's been dug along a well-traveled road outside the palace. They raise the enormous stake like a flagpole and let gravity pull it into the hole as the baker's slumped, headless body squelches downward a few inches. Blood stripes the pole. In the great hall, wine flows and songs are sung to Amun-Ra and his pharaoh. Five days later, the road outside the palace has new traffic. The flapping of dark wings, hungry cawing. Avian eyes stutter their attention as beaks stab like glinting kopesh. The flesh of the baker is pecked away. In the throne room, Pharaoh's cupbearer hands him a goblet. Drunken on his newfound freedom, he has forgotten Joseph entirely. Two years. 730 suns rise and set on the king's prison and its inmates. Joseph waits. Cries. Prays. Yahweh nods and continues his work. Pharaoh tosses fitfully on his bed, his face strained, sweat glistening in the moonlight. 
He's standing beside the Nile. The swollen river stretches to his left and to his right, the beating heart of Egypt's bounty. Suddenly, two spears rise from the water. No, not spears. Horns. The head of a cow emerges, followed by its neck, its back, its flanks, legs, hooves. An incredible specimen, healthy, well-fed, and followed by another just as vigorous. And another. And four more after that. They move onto the shallow bank and begin grazing among the reeds. Splashing, Pharaoh's attention is drawn back to the river. Another cow appears, stumbling from the water. This one is sick, thin, skin hanging limp on ribs and a protruding pelvis. A skeleton draped in leather with cloudy eyes and sticky discharge sliding out of its nostrils. Pharaoh steps back. Another starving cow arises from the water. And another. And four more after that. They stagger onto the shallow bank toward the first seven animals. And then Pharaoh watches with fright as one of the sick cattle opens its mouth wide, wider, as if like a cobra, it's dislocated its jaw into an unnatural yawn. And then it throws its gaping mouth over one of the healthy cows and gobbles it up. Again and again, each emaciated animal consumes its thriving counterpart until the first cows are gone and all that remains are the still paltry beasts licking their lips with their mottled tongues. Pharaoh opens his eyes, catching his breath in the darkness. He lies there, panting, remembering, wondering. And then, somehow, he nods off. A pale green stalk shoots up from the earth, soaring skyward and growing greener, wider, stronger, until suddenly a head of grain bursts forth from its end. Another, and another, and four more after that. Pharaoh looks on as the plump heads bow under their own weight. But then the earth erupts again, this time with a stalk sapped of color, brittle, thin. From its end, seven heads of grain emerge, scant and lifeless. Pharaoh's robe flutters and then whips as a brutal wind blows from the east. He watches as the torrid air scorches these heads of grain and as they grow mouths and open wide their jaws and gobble up the seven fat ones. The king wakes with a start, eyes wide, heart punching his chest. It was just a dream. But the morning does not bring solace. The pharaoh cannot forget his dreams 
and with every passing moment, he becomes more convinced that there is meaning in them. But what? I want every magician in Egypt. Bring the wise men, too. Pharaoh puts in motion an ad hoc council. Wise men travel from near and far to listen to and interpret the king's dreams. In days, the Egyptian court teems with sorcerers and counselors, their eyes dark with coal and cryptic proverbs. Pharaoh tells them his dreams and searches for insight on their faces. But he's met with bewilderment. None of them can tell him what these visions mean. And then, in the tense silence, one man's eyes light up. The chief cupbearer turns to Pharaoh and says, Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. A puzzled look from the king. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Pharaoh waits for him to continue. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. A raised eyebrow. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position. The other man was impaled. It was two years ago, but Pharaoh remembers it well. You don't forget a birthday party like that. Across the crowd of nervous, failed magicians, Pharaoh calls out, Send for him. Bring me this Joseph. Yahweh nods and continues his work. In the prison, a thickly bearded Hebrew looks to the heavens. So many years. Where is... But he's interrupted by a sturdy knock. Justin here. I hope part two of The Companion and the Right-Hand Man blessed you. Next episode will conclude this season's time with Joseph with part three. Make sure to set a reminder to get your tickets to Holy Ghost Stories Live, The Christmas Show. They go on sale the morning of October 18th. That's just two days from this episode's release, so it's possible they're available now. It's going to be a beautiful, festive evening where we will spend time in a story with some shadow, but no impaling. So bring the family. Head to holyghoststories.org to get your tickets, and I will see you in Nashville on December 5th at 7 p.m. Finally, a huge thank you from all of us to the Tours, the heroes leading the pack of patrons that make this show possible. Ryan and Kelly, Miranda, Amanda, Carrie, Joy, John, Joshua, David, Teresa, Daniel, Deborah, Terry, Rachel, Valerie, Travis, Steve, Shannon, Kara, Dawn, Jean-Paul, Brenda, Tiffany, Sarah Beth, Daniel, Stephanie, Helen, Hildy, Debbie, Susan, Rick, Stephanie, Derek, Mindy, Maddie, Jody, Jonathan, Ricky, Brandy, Mark, Kimmy, Stephen, Patrick, Liz, Stevens, Terry, Nelwyn, Julie, Aaron, Jamie, Bill and Trina, Jessica, Ken, Alyssa, Sloan, and Jamie. 
Your support is showing how sturdy Divine Dreams really are. Thank you. You can join them at patreon.com slash holyghoststories. The link's in the show notes. Holy Ghost Stories is a production of Hazefire Studios, manuscript editing by J.L. Gerhardt, research, writing, narration, and sound editing by me, Justin Gerhardt. Till next time.